You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Friday the 28th of January, a packed show for you today where we will be hearing from trainer Evan Williams, from rider Josh Moore back in the saddle today. Also from trainer out in Bahrain, Michael Bell will be talking Pegasus World Cup with NBC's Matt Bernier. So plenty to come, but some important news pieces first of all. And all of that with broadcaster and journalist Lydia Hislop, who's uh, with me now. Um, We will come to the uh, weights issue, which has gripped horse racing over the last three or four days. But first of all, um, some news emerging yesterday that quite unbelievably two men have been given 10-year bans for nobbling a horse that horse being ladies first a well-beaten six to four favorite at newcastle in 2018 lydia tell us more well this um was a hearing of the disciplinary panel yesterday thursday and it relates to a race at newcastle in 2018 that's quite a delay and i'll come back to that point later but um ladies first was the six to four well-beaten favourite post-race testing revealed um, that the horse had been given Timolol, which is a beta blocker. The BHA then investigated, and again I'll come back to that, but CCTV essentially uh, at Newcastle Racecourse showed two men approaching the horse and also another horse, Victoriano, who was a beaten favourite and finished sixth and therefore wasn't tested on the day, but was subsequently hair tested, and that also showed traces of Timolol, so two instances of doping from the same men. These men were named as Neil Waggett, and Stephen Walker. Neither of them appeared at the hearing and neither have cooperated with the BHA during their investigation. They were These people were employed by Newcastle Racecourse. Now, for all of these details, by the way, I'm relying on Chris Cook, who um, is the reporter from the Racing Post, and he attended yesterday's hearing. So I'll be referring to some quotes that he's brought forward in his article. Waggett and Walker were employed by Newcastle Racecourse to work in the stable area, mucking out, requiring staff to sign stable cleanliness forms, conducting running repairs and other odd jobs. And Louis Weston, who is the BHA's counsel, who appeared uh, pressing the BHA's case at the disciplinary panel yesterday, um, he said that they um, approach ladies first and they're seen between them, want to be lookout and want to be acting, to act in a very unusual way. Although they were employed by the course to carry out repairs and the like to the stables, they had no purpose in going to that horse. One reaches into his pocket and puts his hand towards the horse's head. We say, and this is clearly a quote that um, from Louis Weston whilst he's talking to the panel, uh, we say that in that action, they were giving the horse to Malol with the intention of doping the horse. Uh, the panel found that to be correct. Um, in the absence of Waggett and Walker, they banned each of them from racing for 10 years. Uh, Mick Easterby, who was the trainer of the horse, um, he was fined a penny. Um, and the reason for that is um, that the rules have a, a, a strict liability from those times back in 2018. They've since been changed so that no charge would be issued against a trainer where some unconnected outsider has been shown to be responsible for the doping. But um, the, the rules required the panel to, to impose a financial penalty, even though the, 
the BHA accepted that the Easterbys were entirely blameless. Um, Rory McNeese made the point, he was, Rory McNeese was representing the Easterbys at the hearing, he's the solicitor, said that Mr Easterby had no control over who was allowed into the racecourse stabling area that day. He said that control lies with the BHA and to a lesser extent the racecourse. And he said it's ironic that Mr Easterby is the one who's appearing before you now. There is a fundamental disconnect between the rules and the responsibility. The panel, who was chaired by Philip Curl, uh, decided it was obliged under the rules to penalise Easterby, but find him uh, just one penny. And uh, Philip Curl said, we are sorry that the matter has taken as long as it has. And at a time when he hasn't been enjoying the best of health, we wish him um, all the best for the future. Um, a couple of issues come out from this, wider issues rather than just the specific. And I'm going to go back to uh, Roy Manise's, um quote. And he said, the horse was doped in a secure racecourse stabling area by two people who were given access to that secure area by the racecourse stable manager when no checks have been made either by the racecourse or the BHA as to who these two men actually were. The BHA's investigation had showed that Waggett had been taken on to do repair work at the stables, mainly because he was friends with the track stable manager at the time. Waggett then asked for Walker to be taken on to help him, which was approved, even though the stable manager didn't know Walker's name, but knew him only as Taff. Um, neither Waggett or Walker was paid directly by the racecourse, but were instead paid through the stable manager, which McNeese rightly described as a very odd arrangement. And he said, no one asked any questions of them. Mr Walker could have been anybody. The racecourse had no real idea who he was, and yet the stable manager appears to have organised for him to have access to the most secure area on the racecourse. There appears to have been no oversight here over these two. No one at the racecourse or at the BHA asked any questions of them. To gain access to ladies first, the horse all they had to do was walk in sign a register this case identifies a very serious and very significant weakness in the protection offered to horses on the race course and it, it's impossible um, to to disagree with that louis weston denied that the bha were to any extent responsible for the security beach he said the bha is not the employer here while i understand the concern to suggest the bha has to carry out back background checks on everyone employed by the race course has obvious, obvious difficulties. There was a quote in the Racing Post article from um, ARC, uh, who own Newcastle Racecourse, and this quote says, Newcastle Racecourse takes all matters of security integrity very seriously and meets all licensing requirements in that regard. Following this incident in 2018, the individuals concerned were removed from the racecourse as soon as their actions had come to light, and the racecourse has provided all relevant information to the BHA as and when requested. We look forward to seeing the written summary, summary of the hearing and will work with the relevant bodies to implement any amendments to security procedures that are deemed necessary. I mean, you have to contrast the statements from Newcastle Racecourse saying that they take all matters of security and integrity very seriously with the uh, details uh, provided in evidence by Rory McNeese at the hearing. I mean, essentially, the stable ma manager took on a mate who brought in another mate. Um, and this doesn't sound like an organisation that takes its responsibility to human welfare, horse welfare or integrity seriously. And this does fall on the BHA as well in ensuring that there is rigorous checking that race courses are upholding their responsibility. I just want to stress that there was, a, I mean, there's, there's no, this, this substance could have been anything. There could have been an active risk to human life, in particular, of course, the jockey who rode the 
the horse, but also that the jockey's riding the other horses against against that horse and potentially stable staff around. There's a potential to jeopardise horse welfare and essentially um, the race course and uh, the BHA are falling short on their obligations to maintain the integrity of the sport. You know, lots of honest punters are out there who bet on the sport and thereby fund it and they need to have confidence that the sport is being run with integrity and these details are disturbing. And the other problem is, of course, the delay. And um, this came up in the hearing quite white, rightly. This was a race in 2018 or two races in 2018. And this hearing has only taken place in 2022. And this was uh, explained at the hearing. Louis Weston said there were other matters and other considerations of a much broader nature that required a great deal of investigation before charges could be properly brought. In the end, it has not gone anywhere, and these charges were brought reasonably shortly after that. There was an investigation. It did require a great deal of work. I can't reveal the contents of it, and I invite, invite you to take that on trust. That's him speaking to the, to the panel. Weston did apologise if the delay had caused any upset to uh, Mick Easterby. Um, and... This is what's clear about this is that there are other details in the case, other in other elements that we have not, we do not know, and probably will never know about what actually took place here. Of course, it's because the BHA doesn't have the same rights, um, uh, access, and powers as 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 the police, and 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 can't you know require people um, to give evidence. So. An interesting case, uh, but I think it raises questions of security and responsibility for all race courses and for the BHA in terms of their licensing requirements to that race course and how they check that uh, the, that the um, security requirements are being properly carried out. Lydia, would it be fair for us to infer or assume that it's unlikely this is the only time this will have happened? as in only time has happened and people have been caught. Do you, do you think that's a fair assumption or is that clutching at straws? Um, well, CCTV evidence was used and the uh, testing system brought this problem to light. So first of all, the, the, the testing system brought the problem to light and that inspired a, 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 an investigation and there was CCTV. So there are balances and checks there. I suppose it's possible, um, but I think that, there, that those two elements give some form of comfort. What gives me great discomfort is any sort of cavalier attitude that a racecourse might have towards the security of the stable area for the reasons, and I stress this, of uh, risk to human life, uh, jeopardising horse welfare, and falling short on their obligations to maintain the integrity of the sport. These are fundamental responsibilities and they need to be carried out with responsibility. Right, the weights issue, Lydia. Uh, your take, if you will. The only news is that the BHA are going to meet jockeys and trainers following the widespread outcry about their developments. And the PJA, the Professional Jockeys Association, has admitted that uh, it could have done more to prevent the allowance from being replaced. Um, my take? Well, I think what's been lost in all of this is the reason why the BHA has acted as it is. And this is in the original press release. Dr. Jerry Hill, who's the BHA's chief medical advisor, has said at the time, the closure of saunas on our race courses represents a significant step forward for jockey well-being and a permanent raising of the minimum weight while protecting competitiveness by raising the maximum weight is the correct response to that development. I am grateful for the input received from the industry. Industry's participants, in particular, the clear message 
sent by jockeys regarding their support to see the use of saunas on race days come to an end. Our jockeys are athletes who should be primed to perform to the best of their ability like any other. Shedding pounds by dehydrating in a sauna minutes before being given the leg onto a horse is not the best way to ensure that is the case. I think that's an important point. Now, clearly the argument has come about because uh, there was a misunderstanding about whether the £3 um, allowance uh, was going to be temporary or not. Um, the jockeys are saying and the PGA are saying that it, they weren't clear that that was going to be temporary. But, you know, the, this is this has been brought in about by but for health reasons. And the problem is that raising the, the, the weights by two pounds is a, is a general um, provision, whereas obviously jockeys will be looking at it very specifically. And the horse they want to ride might not be the one that's conveniently carrying two pounds more. Yeah, you know, you, exactly. <laughs> you try and you try and ride the horse or need to ride the horse that you need to ride. But I do think it's important that that detail about well-being is got across. Um, also, I think there's, um, it's clearly been an ongoing conversation, this, between the PJA and Dr. Jerry Hill, because he refers again in that original press release that he's going to lead work on the creation of a plan to introduce individual minimum weights for jockeys. So that's going to be looking at data and asking jockeys to keep to a minimum weight for themselves, which again is about their physical and mental well-being in the short and long term. So that is something that, that, that needs to be properly communicated. There's been a breakdown in communication here, whether it's between the BHA and the PJA or the PJA and its members. It seems to be from what the PJA was saying, but it is between them and their members. Um, I just have some sort of wider observations on the point of consultation. You know, mm. consultation with stakeholders, which the BHA must do, doesn't mean that an individual stakeholder is going to always win 100% of the argument. There is some need for compromise, and the BHA was talking about that when they issued the clarification uh, subsequently, and uh, Dale Gibson even acknowledged, uh, the, mentioned the word compromise when the original uh, press release went out. Dale Gibson is the interim CEO of the Professional Jockeys association so you know i i often you often hear don't we in racing that you know stakeholders saying they weren't consulted when what it subsequently seems to actually come out is that their view wasn't 100 percent agreed with um, um i just want to take issue with what uh, del gibson said about not being concerned about the the, the three pound allowance i mean it's not right that we punters and people who analyze racing are sort of pouring over weights and measures and sort of saying a pound this and a pound there and we don't know uh, whether uh, riders are carrying up to three pound more I mean that's quite significant and this is a general point for transparency really it is important for the sake of punters that it is known what weight is carried so I, I, I don't agree that um, the three pound um, allowance. I mean, Dale Gibson says that uh, data seen by him and former PJA chief executive Paul Struthers showed that the three pound allowance wasn't influ influencing results, but that during the consultation, it was evident that a number of people were concerned about horses carrying unpublished weights. That's the point. It's the unpublished weight and not actually knowing what weight is being carried. And that's not right. That's not transparent enough for a sport that relies to such a great extent on punters betting on it. Um, for its income. Right, um, not 
good news from the, the Willie Mullins yard. First of all, that Fernie Hollow is out of Cheltenham, at the very least, with a minor suspensory ligament issue. And, of course, Classical Dream was beaten yesterday uh, by Peter Fahey's Royal Kahala and a few others as well in the Gulmoy Hurdle. Yes, well, Fernie Hollow being out, I mean, he's a really talented um, chaser. He's unbeaten over obstacles. Uh, he won a grade one over Christmas. He beat Riviere Dattel, who's pretty smart in her own right, really bossed her. So this is a, 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 a really unfortunate. He was Irish Arkle favourite, Antipost favourite for the Arkle at six to four, and he's got a minor suspensory ligament injury. The owners, Chiefly Part Stud, tweeted the news uh, yesterday. I suppose a few points here. Um, he had a stress fracture, didn't he, in, in December 2020, it would have been, uh, when he was being trained towards the Supreme and he missed that. So clearly we're talking about a horse who's pretty fragile and that should be borne in mind when he comes back to racing. It's talked as a, of, as a minor injury, but from, a, from a, a punting perspective, unfortunately, I think we're looking at a horse who is prone to getting injuries. Um, it's interesting that the owner, Chewley Parks, had tweeted the news because uh, there was a bit of a delay when the stress fracture injury um, was uh, came out in terms of it being made public in, in December 2020. And clearly, um, Chewley Parks are, are wanting to make sure that they're trying to communicate as promptly as possible with the outside public. Um, and it sounds from Willie Mullins's quotes as though he's, he's, he's thinking that the horse will be back next season. They're not, they're not going to try and rush him to get back for Punchestown. They're going to take the rest of this, the hit of the rest of the season. But he seems to be quite confident that the horse will be back, back next season. In the short term, it's going to prompt a reshuffle, isn't it? He's got Horton Couleur, since Sam. Uh, Blue Lord, Jungle Boogie, it'll be interesting to see what he does with those. Some horses might have been set for a, a step up to two and a half miles, maybe in the Turners. This might have changed some plans. And so Classical Dream, well, he was beaten at one to three in uh, the Gamoy Hurdle at Goran on Thursday by Royal Kahala. If we deal with the winner first, I mean, she's pretty exciting. That was the first time she raced against Geldings. Her first try at three miles. Um, she was the beaten favourite in the dawn run at the festival last season. She finished lame. She won at Leopardstown, a group three at Christmas over two and a half miles, doing well to get up and um, catch Heaven Help Us, who had set the pace. Afterwards, her trainer, Peter Farhi, was talking about her need for soft ground, that she wouldn't be going to Cheltenham unless the ground was properly soft. And he sees her as a future three mile chaser. But you know, clearly this is exciting. Um, she has got new horizons open to her and she was clearly well suited uh, by the trip and she's exciting. Classical Dream, he's a bit of a crock, isn't he? Um, he won the 2019 Supreme and then also went on to win at Punchestown, but ran a couple of times the following season before then being off for about for 487 days until April 2021 when he was reinvented as a staying hurdler. We saw him win um, setting a strong pace, nicking some lengths at the start in the Christmas hurdle at Leopardstown. Um, here, I don't think the Paul Tannen set a stronger pace on Classical Dream. I don't know whether that will turn out to be an important detail. The order of racing barely changed. 80 to 1 home by the Lee ended up finishing second, albeit he does have some decent chase form back from 2020. And Ashdale Bob finishing third. Again, he was always prominent, as was the winner. Um, it's clearly a disappointing run from Classical Dream. So you're, you're weighing up what the, what the factors are. Um, does he sustain a lot of racing? You know, he, he has this, this track record. And were the tactics slightly wrong? I don't think the tactics explain enough the fact that when he turned into the home straight, there was a very muted response. 
and has now been deposed as um, Antipo's favourite for the stairs hurdle. Um, excuse the banging in the background, it's a carpet going down. Um, but we do have <laughs> Champ uh, now in that position and he will look to enhance those claims tomorrow. Heads the betting uh, round about two's on for the Cleave hurdle. Uh, before we come to that, let's hear from Evan Williams, who sends just one horse now out tomorrow, just the one, and that is Cool Cody back at his favourite Cheltenham. Well, look, all his best form is around there. Um, we had him in a couple of other races, but he was all wrong at the weights in them, so we decided, look, stick to the tried and tested and run him over, over the trip where he seems to run very well. So how do you... It seems ridiculous to be to ever be disappointed with this horse, you know, and he, and he ran really well last time. But I suppose that what I'm looking to ask is why wasn't he most effective? Was it just the weight last time, or was it something else? Do you think? No, look, I would say he had a couple of hard races, and the handicapper, you know, always gets his revenge. I mean, he hasn't moved him for that um, run last time, so you know, we're in exactly the same situation. You know, we're off the same mark actually carrying top weight it, it'll be a devil of a difficult job to get in the first three let alone to win the race again does he absolutely have to go forward is that that absolutely a given with him i don't think so it's just you, you know that's how he's effective really i suppose you know um you know he, I mean, he hasn't had to but it's just that he enjoys himself then let him enjoy himself really um but I mean, he's one. He's he's one being held up behind the leaders. It's just um, wait that place. You see, people don't realise Cheltenham. If you can get a bit of rhythm going and you can get dancing around there, there's no doubt in it. It can help because trying to make up ground, it, it's quite difficult. If um, if you're sort of making mistakes and trying to try to make ground when actually you're going downhill and around bends. So it's if you can go forward, it helps you sometimes around there. I think what I, I love about him is, particularly going around Cheltenham, is he, he'll quite often go to his right at a fence, and yet he's so effective going that way around. I, I wonder if it's because on you know on the front end he ends up half getting his own way or at least not having horses too close to him because he can just go a little bit right at his fences, so they almost you know just keep a little bit away, if that makes sense. Oh, geez. Do you know what? I don't know what it is. I mean, it doesn't make any sense um, because there's no doubt in that you know, that's the way he puts himself... Um, to correct um, when things aren't going well, but also he he has an uncanny habit of going through them as well, you know, to put himself right. So it makes no sense. Cheltenham shouldn't suit him. It should be the last place we should be going. But look, it's horses for courses is is the truest saying in the book. Mm. Uh, yeah, you went to Kempton, didn't you, in between one of the, the 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 Cheltenham runs? And I suppose on the face of it, he was a touch disappointing. So so stick to what you know with Cheltenham. Um, I know you had a few other horses that were possibly going to run uh, on the weekend. I mean, ultimately, is it is it just the ground quicker than 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 it would be normally be this time of year that, that's put you off in that sense? And is that a worry for Cool Cody or not at all? Well, I wouldn't worry about the ground with Cool Cody. I mean, the Doncaster job, you know, we had Ann Sam in in the sky, but I'd like to have gone there, but the ground will be too quick for him up there. Um, I, I just thought, you know, there's plenty more options, and it is early enough to be... Um, having this type of ground, you mean, there's so much of the season left and we will get a drop of rain at some stage, you know. Um, I had Coconut Splash, so I'd like to have gone to Cheltenham with him. Um, but the, again, the ground, you know, isn't what we would want. Um, uh, look, it, it's just being sensible. Don Levant was in there. He's done plenty of racing and there's a good mood, current, current mood. 
she was in there in Doncaster and the ground would be too quick for her. Look, it's unseasonable, but um, they're there for another day. And, and as I said, the, the, the rain will come. So good luck to, to call Cody. Evan Williams loves it around there. Um, I suppose the day centres around Nicky Henderson, really. JP McManus as well. Chantry House for the Cotswold Chase with the cheap pieces on, Lydia, and, and Champ as well. Who, who'd be the most solid of those two? Champ. Uh, clearly, I think uh, he is in pole position now, as you mentioned, for the, the stayers hurdle. He's earned that. He did really well when winning the long walk at Ascot. He looked really comfortable, I thought, over hurdles, which is not something you could accuse him of over fences, certainly at, at, at Cheltenham. That habit of his of screwing out to his left, it was less, less apparent even in the right-handed track um, at Ascot over hurdles. It, he seems to be much more fluid at, at, at that. Um, he seems to have paid Disney Parks measure these days. Um, McFabulous would need to improve to get involved. I'm not sure he necessarily loves this track. And listener Garoska has gone missing. So, you know, I think he, Champ, is, is clearly in pole position in this division and he's earned it. He's a you know, very, very talented horse. Ten years of age, though. He's at the upper end. I mean, he, you know, this is his moment. I think he's got this, this season to uh, bag a, a, festival, a festival success um, at In Open Company. So um, hopefully he goes well on Saturday. And then, as you say, Chantry House, well, first time cheek pieces is interesting, isn't it? He didn't seem to go the pace early on in the King George. They went hard from the start and he didn't seem to like it. He was struggling from a very early stage. He's got to prove himself, really, hasn't he? Um, you know, he's, he's won uh, at, there are details of both races, that he, grade one races he won as a novice, that make you, you can question the form. I mean, Chambly went too hard in what was the marsh now, the Turners, and um, Espoir de Rome um, fell ahead of Chantry House when I think seemingly in control at Aintree. So he's got to prove himself. He's up against I Wright, who's the fabulous handicapper, or you know, now moving into graded company quite rightly, trained by Harriet Graham, and Santini, good old Santini. Um, and let's see what he can do for for Polly Grundry. You spoke to her earlier in the week, didn't you? And uh, mm. he, he remains a force. I thought there was still enough promise there, and this race should suit him well. Will Will simply the bet stay? No, is my instinctive response to that. Do you? What do you no. think? Um, I think I think very doubtful. Very doubtful. Um, I prefer the no, to be honest. But I'm not as bold. <laughs> <laughs> Right, rider Josh Moore is back in action today and I spoke to him earlier, starting by asking him how long it's been since he was last race riding. Uh, just, just over three months now, yeah. yeah. I think he came out of hospital on the 28th of October. So, uh, would, you, would you have taken that, Josh, when you were, you know, back, back in those days where you were lying in hospital, weren't allowed to move, you know, if, if somebody said around about three months, would you, is that what you expected? Has it been sooner than expected? Um, it's been sooner than expected, but that was one of the reasons with having the operation. The, the surgeon said to me, he, 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 he didn't give me an option not to operate, but he said, with the operation, you will be back on your feet a lot quicker than if we don't operate. Um, so the operation had to happen in the end anyway, as it were, but if it hadn't been operated on, I would have been laid on my back for eight weeks, which would have been a, a much slower process. So helps me get going massively really um, where are you mentally off the back of that you know really it was a, it was a, it was a well documented pretty tough time um you know how, how have you sort of come off the back of that do you feel josh uh yeah no i'm fine I, i've been in i've dealt with a lot of injuries over the years and um i kind of 
think I handled them quite well, both mentally and, and physically. So um, I've I've learned how to I've learned to know my body, what it can take, what it can't take, and and, and there's a new entry to learn about for sure. But I've had a, a lot of help getting back, and the surgeons have been very good, and the gym team and like Peter Sullivan and places that have have helped me along the way progress well, and and have and have assured me of. Um, of, of of my body <laughs> throughout, mm. so um, it's it's um, you know I feel like um, the the turnaround from the from the injury has been has been quite a quick one really, but it's all nothing's been rushed and it's all um, come together nicely really. How I, I guess it, it's it's specific to each and every rider, but do you feel you can you can get straight back in and be race fit, or do you feel you you know sometimes you just need a couple of couple of rides maybe a couple of days couple of weeks i don't know to to get back to 100 percent um to be honest i've when i've come back from spells on the sidelines before it often comes back to you quite quickly i think um i, I think i've been back doing the riding out and the schooling for a couple of weeks now so i feel like i've plenty of that under my belt but um the race riding yeah obviously when you you're you're back doing it it is a different ball game, but in all fairness, I I feel like I haven't stayed out of touch with it. Um, I stayed like watching the racing every single day and following the racing and try. I'm not, there's nothing like race riding, I'm sure. But to be honest, when I've had injuries in the past, I've come back with winners straight away, get on good runs straight away, and ridden them big races before straight mm-hmm. away. So um, it's not something that ever ever concerns me really. You'd have, if you'd been watching a lot of racing, Josh, you'd have been watching a lot of Gary Moore trained winners. He's, I mean, the, you're on. For, I think the, the the team are on for their, they're probably their best ever year over jumps. It's it's. Um, I suppose it's just been a shame that the last three three months you haven't been riding any winners for you've been part of it. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's been good to, it's been good to watch because I, I to get involved in the yard every every day anyway. You know, so um, it's just been good that the horses have been running well. But back in the summer, I did think that we had a good team of horses that should be winning plenty of races this season and if we hadn't been having a season like we had you kind of would have almost been disappointed um really because there was a lot of nice horses that were were going to be ready to win races and luckily they've held their form though and that's the that's the main thing they haven't had the hindrance of me on their back i guess <laughs> <laughs> not not true um so you you got gleno today friday then you got big ride in the, the grade two the river don but they'll answer prayers yeah, no, um, Glenno's a horse, I've, no, well, I think I've won six races on him in the last few years, and um, he's a good one to come back on, hopefully, um, should have a, hopefully should have a nice each way chance anyway, and, and then, yeah, uh, unanswered prayers tomorrow, he's, I rode him in a bumper last year on Kempton, and I, I fought the world of him, and um, so he's pleased to see that he's started his, his career off well over hurdles this year, and he hopefully um, should have a good chance tomorrow anyway. And so to Bahrain now, trainer Mike Bell runs Ace Rothstein out in Bahrain. I asked him how his horse was ahead of the £108,000 now listed Crown Prince's Cup. Yeah, he, um, he seems in very good form. I arrived on uh, Monday. He's been out here since uh, December. Nick, my son's been sort of overseeing the operation and uh, I have to say the horse looks great. So very happy with his well-being. So Nick's been doing his job first and foremost. That That's important. And, well, uh, yeah, that is uh, that's a that's a positive. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, he's been enjoying his time out there, Nick, I'm sure, but, but the horse has as well with that win last time. Yeah, that was good. That was a sort of good spot where the, the plan was to run in that race. And if, if all went, if, you know, if he came up trumps, we'd obviously be targeting this race today, which is, um, so the plan is, you know, first stage one went well, and so let's hope today goes as, 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 as planned. Why this horse, Mike, for the turf series? Because um, he had a very late, start to his career as a three-year-old he was in Ireland pre-training and there was sort of a glitch in paperwork so he couldn't run until the second half of the season and um, so he was a fresh horse and you know given his rating it made sense to sort of have a campaign over the winter abroad with him and Bahrain was the obvious choice. And you know going forward now obviously this is the inaugural turf series but going forward are you thinking horses like this when, when you're back in the UK um, throughout the summer months, are you going to be thinking about horses like him that you can target the turf series with? Does it just open up a few more possibilities, particularly given the prize money on offer? Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's been a great thing, and you know they've been so welcoming here at Bahrain, and I I think they're talking about putting the money up uh, next year, and they've got a very good high profile sponsor in Howden, who are I think involved with Ascot as well, so that's another positive. So uh, there's you do need to sort of plan ahead with these things because you need to have the the right horses with it that are fresh and haven't been you know soaked up all there and it is over the summer months in, in the UK so it does need a bit of forethought but um, we, we were slightly on it and um, you know the two horses hopefully are, are going to justify being here. Okay to America Pegasus World Cup preview time in association with HBA Media here's NBC Sports Matt Bernier. The beauty of this year's Pegasus World Cup is the two main players, Nick's go and life is good. They should have no excuses coming out of Saturday's race, regardless of the outcome. Nick's go is a need-the-lead type. He's a speed horse, breaking from post position number one. There's one way for Joel Rosario to go. You break, you send him to the front, and you say, come and catch me if you can. Life is good has yet to prove that he can sit off of a target and be effective, but everything about his demeanor suggests that that's not going to be an issue. I think a Rad Ortiz Jr. is going to have a decision to make very early on. Do you want to take the race to life is good, rounding the first turn and down the backside, or are you going to be content taking sort of a flanking position and saying, you know what, I know what I have beneath me. We're going to take our shot as we round the far turn and try to win this race there. Uh, the trainers have no issues at Gulfstream Park. Brad Cox, Todd Pletcher, we know this is Pletcher's playground this time of year. The distance, I think, is ideal for both horses. Nick Sko has proven himself at a mile and a quarter, but I think he's slightly better at this nine for a long distance that we'll have on Saturday. And while life is good, has never gone beyond a mile and a 16th in his career again to the demeanor and the professionalism. He doesn't give off the, the indication that this is going to be any sort of an issue. I don't think there are any excuses for either party. I think it's a two speed number. They're going to hook up and they're the two best horses in the race. Plain and simple. If you want to take a contrarian standpoint and say they're going to go too fast too early, take the starch out of one another and set something up for for a wild result. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. My personal feeling is they're going to go one, two all the way around the racetrack. And I think when push comes to shove, life is good is a more, let's say brilliant racehorse than Nick's go. And I think we're just scratching the surface of life is good's potential. Nick's go have no issues with him whatsoever. He's a deserving horse of the year for 2021, but I think 2022 is going to be the year of life is good. Thanks to Matt. Looks a fascinating racing prospect. Now, you know what day it is. Here's Nick. 
It's Friday, so it is Global Rankings time in association with Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. New editor announced this week of that esteemed publication. Our congratulations to Nick Godfrey. And we are going to give you the top 10 horses in the world according to the TRC Global Rankings. And then give you this week's global world thoroughbred racehorse rankings top 10 so our rankings are 10 very elegant nine contrail eight down one golden 60 for that defeat in hong kong swapping places with baid number seven up one six palace pier five nature strip four is euphoria three gran allegria two st mark's basilica and one nicks go now you'll be quite familiar with that list by now and we've put the retirees back in so we can contextualize it with the Longines list, which had five horses tied at 10th. Life is Good, who runs in the Pegasus tomorrow. Flightline, who we never see, but when we do, looks very good. Euphoria for Japan. Um, Medina Spirit is very much in the news at the moment with the Baffert hearing. And Nature Strip. Then they've got a joint six, Torquato, Tasso, the art winner, Palace Pier, Golden 60, and Baid. A five is Contrail. A joint second, St. Mark's Basilica, Mishrif, and Adar making a, a higher up appearance in the Longines list. And, and they agree with Nick's go at number one. And we will see Nick's go, of course, as you've heard from Matt Bernier in tomorrow's Pegasus World Cup. Uh, we'll talk about the Pegasus in a moment, James. We're all agreed about Nick's go, but some, some interesting comparisons and contrasts. Yeah, to, the, to cut through all this, the differences between our rankings, TRC Global Rankings, and the Longines Rankings is that our, we have a much higher regard for Japanese-trained horses. And the reason for that is that we expand the distances between horses in the Japanese environment because, on average, they're much shorter. And the reason for that is that Japanese races take place under very fast conditions featuring a ton of horses that are evenly matched. European races often take place on soft ground or stiff tracks and allow much bigger gaps between horses to develop. And the Longines World's Best Racehorse Rankings and Collateral Form Ratings in Europe in general are still over-impressed with margins between horses, which more often than not are a function not just of a difference in merit, but a difference in the way the race was run and conditions. In slowly run races, horses are separated by smaller margins. Under faster conditions, horses are separated by smaller margins. So you can't take a five length win and equate it with another five length win without considering what a statistician would call the covariates, the hidden variables which I've just discussed, pace and conditions. And TRC Global Rankings implicitly takes that into account. So we're able to place Japanese horses in the positions which the, rate, the world group race and graded race action strongly suggests that they, belong, they sh really should exist in on the world stage. The other difference is that the Longines rankings, the sports de facto official ratings, are based on the best performance of a horse, whereas TRC Global rankings take into account the whole array of a horse's performances. So to take an example of a horse like Flightline, the budding potential American superstar, he's only done it once. And there are plenty of horses in the history of horse racing who have done that just once. And so... TRC Global Rankings, using knowledge of previous performances over the 20 or so years, is more cautious 
about horses that have done it just once. Now, yes, it's true that Flightline has done it outside of the group race environment, and we don't have that particular data. But more often than not, right at the top level of the sport, it pays to take into account consistency. That's what the horse racing fan likes. That's what elevates horses to having a Hall of Fame potential or a global Galactico-type presence. They can't just do it once. They need to do it two or three times. And we take that into account at TRC Global Rankings. Uh, would I be right, James, in thinking that the the racing world as a whole is slightly underwhelmed by the annual revealing of who is the world's best racehorse officially, sort of in the middle of cold January? There's a downward trend in it that's undeniable. Now, back when the international classifications, as these used to be called, were first around, the press, the particularly the British press, would have a f- and the Irish press would have a fervent interest in the ranking of horses. There'd be much discussions and even arguments at the press conference. I w- have been at that press conference for many, many years, and other people who have as well would not deny that the interest is going down and going down fast. And the reason for that is the world in which we live. We can no longer conduct annual reviews. People just don't buy things like timeform annuals anymore. We live in an instantaneous environment now. And for that reason, that was why TRC Global Rankings was launched as a rolling update. It's no good just waiting a year and then taking a a retrospective view. People want to know rankings before championship races are settled. Horse racing is currently the only sport on the planet without continuously updated world rankings. And if you look at golf and tennis and the FIFA world rankings in football, in cricket, in rugby, in virtually every sport you can name, they provoke a lot of discussion about who's number one. And then future clashes between horses then settle that in the minds of the fans. You do it this way and you produce rankings just once a year, when most of these horses have retired, then in today's world, there's just not going to be any interest. And the IFHA have got to now recognize that and move to producing these rankings quickly after the races have run and provoking interest, excitement and debate amongst the millions of racing fans worldwide. And that really is one of the reasons why I I love doing this slot. Yes, I like chewing the fat with you about about these horses every week, but just to be able to, you know, get a whole understanding of what's going on around the world on a on a regular basis, it just sort of keeps you tuned in properly, doesn't it? Right. Now, the other thing is that there's another important paradigm to rankings, which is they can't just be an exercise in playing with numbers. They've got to be predictive of something. So the world number one tennis player has got to beat the world number two tennis player more often than not. Otherwise, the rankings themselves have a lack of confidence. And that's another reason why you can't produce ratings in January when most of the world's racing takes best racing takes place later than that or earlier than that, depending on which way you look at it. And yes, we've debated that and, and, and plenty of other people who take an interest in the rankings debate that. And you will agree that people have found it reasonably easy to predict what's going to happen to the rankings. In other words, when we've got this Pegasus, let's throw it forward to the Pegasus. Nick's go an established world number one. The Longines rankings agree. Everyone that does rankings agree. An American dirt horse, the best in the world. Why? How, why is he a better horse than, say, for example, St. Mark's Basilica? 
The reason is that if you do the work, you do the computation, he's further ahead of the average dirt horse than St. Mark's Basilica is of the average turf horse. And that's why he deserves to be number one. But he's taking on a horse whose profile suggests life is good, that he is it could easily usurp that crown. And when you look at the career of the Todd Pletcher horse, now former Baffert animal, of course, there's nothing to hold that horse down. In other words, there's nothing he's done that says, well, okay, right, if he turns over Nick's go, that might be just because Nick's go's not at his best. He has a profile of an absolute global superstar. And if he turns over Nick's go in this race on Saturday, I think, and let's not remember, let me just remind your listeners that this is an automated system. It sits in the cloud, no human involvement. I don't meddle, never have done, never will do. It's, it, it would take away from the integrity of it. But I would predict if life is good, wins the Pegasus, he'll go to number one. As long as Nick's go beats the rest comprehensively and suggests he's given his running, there'll be no reason to doubt him, will there? There won't. And there's that body of evidence. Because he's done it in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile and yep. will have backed it up in the Pegasus, right. then I feel he should. But we will have to see what the, the TRC rankings computer determines. James, thank you very much. You're welcome, Nick. Thanks. You can you can send us away with a tip, please, Lydia Hislop, if you don't mind. Um, are you are you going today? You're going to go to trials day. Well, uh, I'm disappointed with the price, but uh, my, my tip is in the 115 at uh, Doncaster today. Fernambul Civila. I'm sure I've pronounced that incorrectly, but I think everything is right for him in terms of a flat track and two miles. That's exactly what he wants. Um, and if I'm, you're interested in a bigger price, I think Midnight Shadow, I mean, you talked about Cool Cody earlier. Um, Midnight Shadow obviously has very intricately connected form with Cool Cody. Up to three miles on at Doncaster, I think that could suit. So um, that's my interest in the Skybet Handicap Chase in 320 on Saturday. But the rather dull tip is Fernambula Civila in the 115 at Doncaster today. Lydia, thank you very much indeed. Um, enjoy all the action this weekend. And don't forget, listeners, you can join Charlotte for the Saturday edition tomorrow. I will be chatting to you again on Monday. Have a lovely weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary.